how to build your own Jerusalem. And did those feet in ancient time walk upon England's mountains green? And was the holy Lamb of God on England's pleasant pastures seen? The simple answer to both of William Blake's questions is no. Jesus, as far as we know, did not set foot on the mountains green or pastures pleasant of old England. The thought, indeed, seems absurd to us today, though it might not have seemed so to some of Blake's contemporaries. But offering such literal-minded answers to the poet's largely rhetorical questions is also absurd. Blake's words are properly to be read in a symbolic manner. Reading them literally makes little sense. Poetry's truths are often not to be taken at face value. This is a poem about reality which, like much of the best poetry, comes of that reality obliquely. Indeed, very obliquely in this particular case. Blake aims at Jerusalem, but that city is no land of scripture or fable, but, we want to argue, a real place and a place within our grasp and in the here and now. Let us move from the start of Blake's mysterious verse to its end. In a similarly metaphorical fashion to his opening mystical interrogations, Blake, at his poem's conclusion, vows not to let his sword sleep in his hand. I will not cease from mental fight, nor shall my sword sleep in my hand, till we have built Jerusalem in England's green and pleasant land. Blake's first point is clear. This is a mental fight, a psychological campaign, not a soldier on the battlefield kind of conflict. His sword is not real in the weapon in an armoury sense. This is a metaphorical sword and a metaphorical struggle. And nor is Jerusalem really to be built brick by brick in Blake's humdrum South London environs, paradise in Peckham. His battle is in his mind. Blake's mental struggle is actually a familiar one. The fight for everyday victory, the search for Jerusalem in the here and now, in Blake's Peckham, in your town, in ours. Since biblical times, building Jerusalem has meant several different things, but all agree on it betokening the achievement of a longed-for state, even a paradisical state, a place to which one aspires. But in the late 18th and early 19th centuries, Jerusalem had more than this simple metaphorical resonance, and we should examine Blake's poem in its remarkable historical context. The poet Robert Southey once cheerfully dismissed Blake as that madman who thinks that Oxford Street is in Jerusalem. His jest was not entirely fanciful. There were some in Blake's time, Samuel Taylor Coleridge, the most notable, who really believed that in the early 1790s that a new Jerusalem would be established in that day and age, that the second coming was nigh, ushered in by the momentous events of the French Revolution, which had overthrown centuries of tradition in France and initiated a Europe-wide war, which seemed as if it would engulf the whole world. The millennium 
was at hand. The thousand year of prosperity and love prophesied in the 13th book of Revelation. Blake's parents belonged to the millenarian Swedenborgian sect, named after the Swedish prophet and divine Emanuel Swedenborg, 1688-1772, who was active in London in the latter part of his life. Blake was raised in a family atmosphere of the millennial and was aware of the views of another contemporary religious sect, the British Israelites, who did indeed believe that Christ had visited England after his resurrection. Some of Blake's peers, like Robert Southey, consequently had the poet down as a madman. William Wordsworth declared that there is no doubt this poor man was mad, but there is something in the madness of this man which interests me more than the sanity of Lord Byron and Walter Scott. When Southey did encounter Blake in July 1811, he held him for a decided madman who showed him a perfectly mad poem called Jerusalem, Oxford Street, is in Jerusalem. Blake was aware how he was regarded, as he reveals in his address to fellow engravers written to accompany his picture of Chaucer's Canterbury Pilgrims. It is very true what you have said for these 32 years. I am mad. Or else you are. So both of us cannot be in our right senses. Posterity will judge. When Blake denounced sexual repression, and slavery, and endorsed women's rights. He said things that would now be thought sane, but which by the standards of his own day appeared delusional. Society does have a propensity to label as mad whatever fails to conform to its orthodoxies, and posterity has treated Blake rather more kindly than his contemporaries. So, let us return to Blake's poems and to his questions. And did the countenance divine shine forth upon our clouded hills? And was Jerusalem builded here among these dark satanic mills? Blake refuses to blind himself to the evidence of his senses, that he inhabits a fallen world. He is well aware that the fields north of London do not contain the new Jerusalem, and that, in reality, they swarmed with thieves and prostitutes, just as the clouded hills look down on the dark satanic mills of northern England, prisons of rationality for mind and body. In that knowledge he responds, Bring me my bow of burning gold, bring me my arrows of desire, bring me my spear, O clouds unfold, bring me my chariot of fire. As Blake gathers together, bow, arrow, spear and chariot, he does so not in a literal sense. This is not an act of physical violence, but a creative one, by which he will become what he elsewhere calls a golden builder, someone who will articulate in physical form the divinely inspired visions of the imagination. The dark satanic mills have turned the fallen England into hell. Blake will regenerate it through art and the imagination. Christ did not return in the 1790s, of course, and the much-lauded French Revolution imploded bloodily into the terror and the rise of the Emperor Napoleon. However metaphorically fruitful Blake found the notion of the New Jerusalem, and it made, 
let us not forget, great poem. We should not finally understand Blake's Jerusalem in terms of literal belief, any more than we consider Wordsworth, someone who held with the doctrine of pre-existence, despite the fact he used it to such powerful effect in his Immortality Ode. No, what Blake is saying is actually less mystical, and none the worse for that. Building Jerusalem has the advantage of being a very agile metaphor. So, find your own individual vision of happiness. Find your Jerusalem, whatever your Jerusalem is, and build it. Not literally, obviously. There already is a Jerusalem, but that is a divided and disputed city. What Blake celebrates is a Jerusalem of the imagination, a Jerusalem of metaphor, a city of dreams that may become reality. Those English rugby fans who bellow the words to Jerusalem in the famed setting by Sir Hubert Parry are expressing a longing for success on the rugby field, but also a wider longing for that which we desire, our own Jerusalem. And Did Those Feet in Ancient Time by William Blake And did those feet in ancient time walk upon England's mountains green? And was the holy Lamb of God on England's pleasant pastures seen? And did the countenance divine shine forth upon our clouded hills? And was Jerusalem builded here? among these dark satanic mills. Bring me my bow of burning gold. Bring me my arrows of desire. Bring me my spear, O clouds unfold. Bring me my chariot of fire. I will not cease from mental fight, nor shall my sword sleep in my hand, till we have built Jerusalem in England's green and pleasant land.